Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our forefathers who have passed down their faith, the knowledge of you, their understanding to ourselves. Lord, we praise you and thank you for Paul the Apostle, how he lived his life with you and wrote of these things to build up and to encourage us. Lord, we thank you for Silas's and Timothy's and all those who came before us that we would know you. Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom when we ask, when we seek, that helps us to understand your word given to us that we might know you more. Thank you for all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. How are you living your life? How are you living your life? What is, what is your daily life like? Take a moment to think about that. Now, how are you living your Christian life? Because they're two separate things, right? We have our daily life, the things we do all the time. We go to work, we go to school, whatever we might do. And then we have our Christian life when we go to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we go to church, And right? I see a lot of shaking heads. No, they, they aren't different, are they? Or at least they shouldn't be. Where do I stand when it comes to Jesus? Where, where is my faith in him. Am I a Thomas before Jesus appeared to him? Having followed Jesus, having learned from him and his teaching, do, do I sit back and think, I will really give to Jesus everything that I am. I'll give it all to him the day I see him. Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into those marks and, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Until then, till I see him, I'll come to church on Sundays and pray, and, but I will reserve for myself my, my days and my hobbies and my work and my vacations, the things I do most days. He can have me when I'm done here. Am I like the, the father that brings his child to Jesus in Mark chapter 9? who knows what Jesus has done and brings his child to Jesus for a healing from a demonic possession. But then he questions Jesus' ability and his authority to actually do what he's brought his child to him for. He says, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us. To which Jesus replies, if you can? And the father, finally broken, says, I believe, help my unbelief. Where is our faith in Christ? Do we have a broken faith? Or are we broken and reliant upon Christ? Do we have a faith that merely acknowledges Jesus Christ, 
or is Christ completely integrated in, into every aspect of who we are? Do, do we have a belief that is tangible? Something that can be seen and, and felt. Something that, that takes action upon what we know, what we profess, what we understand from God's Word. Do we have a comfortable faith? Or one that finds comfort in Christ no matter what our situation might be, no matter where we are. In the passage we're going to read today and go through, we find Paul in jail. And he's about to be put on trial before a Roman tribunal. And he says, I will rejoice. In these few verses, he mentions the name of Christ five times. Through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As always, Christ will be honored in my body. For me to live is Christ. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. In me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 19. Eh, slightly before that. Verse 18. It says, oh, let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, it says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. A reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. What, what strikes me as I read these words in this passage is, is how Paul lives in this, what seems to us like an altered reality, doesn't it? It's this undeniable, undeniable, absolute reality of Jesus Christ. 
This reality of Christ dictates everything he is, everything he says, everything he does. Christ is his joy. It says at the, in verse 18 there, at the end of it, that Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Christ is his joy, and Christ is his continued joy. It all comes from his knowledge and conviction of the truth of Jesus Christ. And that truth brings Paul joy. It brings Paul joy to know that the truth of Christ is being proclaimed, whether in pretense or in truth, as long as the truth of Christ is being proclaimed. I will rejoice. I rejoice. And and it says there that he will rejoice. He says, but also I will rejoice. What is more, I will continue to rejoice into the future. His joy is present and its future as he looks towards the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. He goes on to describe for us why he will continue to rejoice. He says, yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Why does Paul rejoice? Because Jesus Christ is his help and his deliverance. And this is a deliverance that goes far beyond a physical release from jail. He's not concerned about being released physically from jail. Though he is convinced that that will happen, we see that in verse 25. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He's looking forward to the fact that he will come to them again. But that isn't the deliverance that he's speaking of. The deliverance that Paul is speaking of here is twofold. It's a sort of vindication before man and before God. It says in verse 20 here, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It doesn't matter life or death as long as Christ is glorified, as long as Christ is honored, as long as I don't fall short, as long as I don't get ashamed before this Roman tribunal, as long as I stand solid and firm in my faith, as long as I am vindicated, and I know by the help of God's Spirit, I will be. Through the help of your prayers, I will be vindicated before man, not ashamed as he stands for the truth of what he believes, the truth of Jesus Christ, the absolute undeniable reality in which he lives. He wants to be saved from faltering through that trial. He wants to know that Christ will be honored in him in the here and now. Secondly, he's looking forward to that eschatological deliverance. That deliverance of of eternal life. 
that when he should die, he knows he will be delivered from this finite life, from this fallen world, into eternal life at the side of Christ. Knowing as he is being known. It is more important to Paul that he have bold courage and unashamed strength to declare the gospel under trial more important than whether he lives or that he dies because he knows his ultimate salvation, his ultimate deliverance, his ultimate vindication is in the hands of his Savior who died for him. So it's more important to him whether he lives or dies that he is vindicated because Jesus Christ is his life, isn't he? Jesus Christ is life, and in Christ, his death would be gain. Verse 21, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul knows this fact, this undeniable, absolute reality of Jesus Christ so well. He is so connected with and convicted by the death and resurrection of Christ on his behalf understanding so deeply their current and their future impact upon who he is, that Paul is is living out his hope as if it was his current reality because it is his current reality. The life he lives, he lives for Christ because Christ has died and he has died with Christ already. And as Christ has resurrected, he looks forward to that resurrection, that eternal life with him. The life he lives, he lives for Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understands that that he only has his life on this earth because it has been given to him by the death of Jesus Christ in his place. So now Paul's body, his time, his days here on earth, are merely a tool for the honor of his Savior. A tool for the honor of Christ. Paul is devoted to this proclamation of Christ in and through his life. His his walk with Christ is not just a matter of the future for him. It's not just something he looks forward to. His faith is not just a ticket to heaven when he should get to that point. But his relationship with his Savior, while he remains in the flesh, is an opportunity for fruitful labor, isn't it? Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I cannot tell. Every day he has in the flesh... Every day is a gift to him 
from God, a chance to bring others along in their faith, a, a, a chance to bring glory to Christ in someone else's eyes. Verses 25 and 26, it says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He wants them to see Christ in him. He wants them to glorify Christ because of his coming to them. He wants himself to become lesser and Christ to become greater in their eyes, in their lives, that they would progress in their faith and their joy in Christ. If he should live another day, he wants it to be for the glory of his Savior in their lives. If Paul was to die because he lived for Christ, though, he believes there's no better place, no better way to go. He wants to be, he longs to be with his Savior. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two, life and death. My desire is to be, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is a little bit better than here. Oh, it's far better. We can't even begin to imagine what heaven is like. We barely understand from the pages of Scripture that place that, that Christ has prepared for us. Jesus is, has promised us in John 14, verses 1 through 3, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Our, our Savior, who gave up his life for us, willingly, and had the authority and the power to take that life back again, and we know of his death on the cross, and we know of his resurrection, and all the evidences of that, he's made a promise that he has prepared a place for us and that we don't need to be troubled in any way when it comes to looking forward to that time and being with him. And he promises that he will take us there to be with him. Do we believe it? Do we believe it today? Not just on our deathbed as, as we look forward to, oh, here it is, Lord, I'm going to be with you. But today, after all that Paul has gone through, as he lives that day, and he's convinced of more days of fruitful labor, his eyes are on that, that prize, that goal. He's looking forward to that. 
Are there days and times that you look forward to that? To being with Christ, to being with your Savior. Times that you would rather just be with Christ and be done with the troubles of this world? We are called to live in that today. That that forward-looking hope, that hope that says, yes, and I will rejoice. But at those times that we are looking forward and we would rather be done with the troubles of this world, let's remember that Paul was not in this for his personal gain, was he? He knew what his personal gain was, but he wasn't in it for his personal gain. Verse 24, but... To be with Christ, that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He looks at at that eternal life and that being with his Savior, and he longs for it. He knows where he's going. He knows that he has eternal life. He knows the strength of his faith and hope in Christ. And he knows the day will come. In the meantime, he'll live out that hope right where he is. In the meantime, he will pursue Christ for others so that they too can glory in Christ just as he does. Every day that we are given, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, every day that we are given is an opportunity to bear fruitful labor for the gospel kingdom through the trials. This is the place that Paul lived in. This is the reality he walked. So for Paul, life is Christ. Death is Christ. Both of these, his life, his death, both of them are tools in the hands of God, and God will choose to use them as he sees fit. Honor and unashamedness are found in living for Christ before all mankind. Deliverance from this world and its trials are through Christ. Labor is for Christ. Work is Christ. School is Christ. Friends and family are Christ inasmuch as they glory in Christ because of how Paul lived out his life in Christ before them. Everything in his life is Christ-centered. For Paul, if it doesn't reflect Christ in him, it's not important. It's like that poem I began this whole series with when we very, very months ago when we started Philippians. That poem that's attributed to St. Patrick. Christ be with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, 
Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Do we live in that same undeniable, absolute reality of Jesus Christ? On John Piper's website, Desiring God, uh, a man named Marshall Seagal had this to say in an article. He said, if Jesus is real, we never have a good reason to grumble or despair. If being falsely accused and wrongly incarcerated ruins our hope and joy and confidence, we we have not yet discovered real hope and joy and confidence. Never settle for a God who cannot satisfy you in a prison cell. Never settle for a God who cannot satisfy you in a prison cell. How big is our God? How real is Jesus Christ and all the things he has done on our behalf? If if these things we say about Jesus are indeed true, shouldn't these truths, his death, his resurrection, his spirit here to help us, uh, his intercession for us, on and on and on, we could go all the things that Christ has done for us, shouldn't these tear us away from our reliance upon this faulty and failing world? and turn us, changing our hearts, and cause us to rely unwaveringly upon the God who has done these things for us? How deep should our faith run throughout everything we say and everything we do? does, Does our faith integrate with everything that we are? Are we reflecting Christ in all we say and do? Everywhere we go, with everyone we are with, do they look at me and say, Christian, man of God? In our culture today, perhaps because we we worship a God we cannot see, Perhaps because our surrounding society has worked so hard to put the church in its place and keep it subdued. We tend to have a rather tepid, myopic, pansy kind of faith, don't we? It's weak, it's short-sighted, and it only tends to come out when we're comfortable. We're in our happy place, I'm comfortable, I can share Christ now. We've turned Jesus into a cliche. Jesus is my co-pilot, right? He's become a a bumper sticker. He's not even our pilot, right? He's not even our our first command. He's, He's relegated to a backup. Regarding a a belief in Christ, I've heard many Christians say something to this effect, and and they say it with gusto, like, yeah, 
They say something like, if I'm wrong about Christ, at least I've lived a good life and we will all be in heaven. But if you're wrong, you're going to be in hell. If I'm wrong? If I'm wrong, those words shouldn't even begin to escape our mouth as Christians. If I'm wrong, for Paul, there was never an, the slightest indication of, if I'm wrong, there was no if I'm wrong. Wrong wasn't even a remote possibility to him when it came to his faith in Jesus Christ. For Jesus, there is no if I can. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 17, it says, Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation." How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. If you can, of course he can. For not even death can stand in the way of the giver of life. The one who knit everything together, holds it together at this moment with his word of power, who, is, who has knit each of us together in our mother's wombs and given us a spirit, a soul, a life. Do we understand that Jesus Christ should be the highest priority in our lives as much as he was in Paul's as much as he is in Paul's. That he is the greatest authority not only in our lives, but he is the greatest authority in all of creation. That we have our lives because he gave them to us twice. As he knit us together in our mother's wombs and as he saved us at the cross and his spirit opened our eyes to the truth. Twice over, we've been given our lives. Do we realize that we are, we are his? We are no longer our own because we've been bought at a price. Our sins paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. 
And in that knowledge, in, in knowing these things, let's not let them become cliche to us. But in that knowledge, are we pursuing Christ? Do we have a faith that can taste and see that God is good? One that is integrated into every aspect of who we are and what we do, live or die, work or play, friends, family, co-workers, does it all, does our life entirely point to Jesus Christ? Good times or bad, even if we're in jail, going to be on trial, in the midst of a trial. Is it more important to us that Christ is honored, live or die? Or do we pursue that comfortable faith that the world would prefer us to have? Subdued and non-invasive, keeps itself under control and doesn't show itself too readily. As we leave here, let's remember that our Savior is indeed an undeniable, absolute reality. That our walk with Him is one to be lived out in every aspect of who we are and where we go. Everyone we talk to. On display for everyone to see and to take confidence in. In as much as we get to look at the life of Paul and the words he wrote to us and be encouraged and built up by the strength of his faith and how he lived in that undeniable, absolute reality. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to the truth of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would live it more and more and more and more and more in our lives. Lord, we need your spirit. We need your help in these things. Lord, we look upon the words of Paul and and how he lived them out. And Lord, I want to be a Paul. I want to see you honored no matter what the world should throw at me. No matter what the trial might look like, would you not let us as a church, as a family, as individuals, be ashamed. But give us the strength we need in the moment we need it to put Christ on display everywhere we go to everyone we talk to. Help us to to look forward to that hope that we have, that vindication, that salvation that you have provided us with on the cross, and yet to live it out in the here and now. To use every day you've given us, every gift of a day you've given us for fruitful labor. Help us to understand and see what that fruitful labor is for each of us. How you want to work through us for your greatest glory. Praise you, Lord, for drawing us together as a family in Christ, and we praise you in his name.